Welcome to episode 145 of Tim Talk, the podcast about the DC animated universe co-created by Bruce Tim. I am Chris Lord. I'm Cameron Dexter. And uh, this week we got a couple episodes of Static Shock. We got uh, Robert's boyfriend. Yep. Girlfriend. That's the one that I meant to say. Yep. A little Freudian slip over there. <laughs> Robert's girlfriend. The return of Rubber Band Man. Plus we'll be talking about some news and mm-hmm. a little bit of Red Sun too. Yeah. The animation came out, which, which we went and saw. So, but uh, starting things off. Cameron, you just watched the Scoob trailer. I did. I'm genuinely shocked that you hadn't seen it yet. So the first minute of the trailer, I was thinking, like, I've seen this. I've seen this because it's all reused footage. Yeah, it's all stuff we've seen in the previous yeah. trailer. But then then they started adding new stuff. I'm so excited for this movie. It looks adorable. Uh, it's I, I am a little worried that they might be trying to shoehorn in too much of like a hanna-barbera universe setup because mm-hmm. obviously we're having the scoob gang <clears throat> they just showed dick dastardly is gonna appear in it yeah uh obviously we have blue falcon and dino mutt mm-hmm. in there uh we know uh tracy morgan is gonna voice captain caveman oh um, that's right he's gonna, <clears throat> be, he's gonna be in it and i'm sure we're gonna get cameos to like two or three other things they haven't announced i'm gonna guess we're gonna have like uh my my first assumption is we're gonna see uh a matinee sign, so that's right. When you go to like a concert and it has the sign a marquee, the marquee sign. Thank you. Yeah. Um, a marquee sign for either Jabberjaw or for Josie and the Pussycats. Mm-hmm. Um, what about El Cabang? El Cabong. Thank you. That one. <laughs> I would love an El. Cabang. They might. Uh, they might be like watching El Cabong on TV because that one's. He's a Western dog. But is he a, not a dog? What he's, is he? He's a horse. horse. Yes. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, because then um, what's the the kung fu dog? Oh, uh, Hong Kong Fooey. Thank you. They were supposed to get a Hong Kong Fooey movie like eight years ago. <clears throat> well, that's also not too long after when they did the underdog movie, which... And yeah, very underperformed. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. like I, for me, I don't know why they did with underdog. They made the voice Jason Lee, who's fine. I like Jason Lee a lot, but it's like underdog has this really distinctive voice. Like why yeah, would but, you and not... And even also back when that movie came out, Jason Lee was not a... It's not a household name. I mean, he's he, still not really yeah. even now, but I mean, like you know, he would he makes sense as a good voice actor for things. But I'm just like, it's not the underdog voice. Yeah, you got to do it. And at least with this, you know, like all the the characters kind of sound like themselves. Mm-hmm. Like Will Forte is definitely doing a Shaggy impression, and he's doing. I think he's doing a pretty good job. Yeah, I mean, I'm disappointed it's not still Matthew Lillard. He's so good at it. Yeah, and I I would be curious to know if they even reached out to him. I feel like they would have. I feel like he's I, not I sus- doing enough. I suspect not. I okay. think that they... You think they wanted a whole revamp? Yeah, I mean, they were going for just, like, full stunt casting yeah. here. I mean, like, I love that Zac Efron's doing Fred. I think he's great. Yeah. But he just sounds like Zac Efron. Right. But also, I see it, though. No, it works. Like, it yeah. totally, like it's a really good choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, I mean, they were... I mean... Okay, so I'm curious. What about this got you super excited, the trailer? Just... Just Scooby Doo. Just because just it's Scooby Doo. Just because it's Scooby Doo. Yeah. Because <laughs> I watched it and I felt like it was no different than any other. Like if it, it, it seemed like I was watching the trailer for the Lorax. Like yeah. It, it just oh sorry to jump one more back. It's gonna be Jabberjaw. No sorry, it's, it's not gonna be either of those. It's gonna be the Hex Girls. If like if we're gonna get a cameo, it's gonna be the Hex Girls. Okay. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Foolish of me to forget the most popular band in the Scooby-verse. How dare you? How dare you, sir? Yeah. It was the it was the entry point for many men, many men and women to understand their sexual attraction to the goth phase. 
phase I never went through. So <laughs> I, could you ever see me being goth? I can neither see you being goth nor being attracted to goth. Nope, not my jam. It's, no, no. You didn't watch enough Hex Girls growing up. Did you have a goth phase? I had an emo phase. I need to see photos of your uh, emo phase. Goth phase, not as... Because I had a uniform yeah. all through middle school and high school. So I didn't have the opportunity to wear a lot of black. <laughs> we had to wear tan khakis and a red or white shirt, button-down shirt all through oh, middle school. God. This trailer to me just felt a little bit generic. Like the music choices felt like, again, like it reminded me of watching the trailer for the Lorax. I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, like I like this, um, these who's characters. Who's animating this? Is it Blue Sky? Um, it's, I mean, it's, it's Warner Brothers. So oh, yeah. right, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah but Warner I mean, obviously Illumination did Lorax. Lorax. They do all mm -hmm. the Dr. Seuss stuff. But you watch this stuff and like, oh, it just felt like you're taking something that has its own really distinct personality and you're just making it a little bit generic like i didn't f I, I, at the end of this wasn't like oh this felt like a scooby movie at all i was like oh it just looks like another generic animated movie okay which I'm, i mean i'm, I'm obviously will end up seeing it yeah i'm gonna make you see it yeah I mean, you're not gonna make me see it this isn't fucking fast it. and the furious <laughs> like i actually want to see this movie mostly yeah but yeah it just left me a little it left me a little just tepid i think where i was, okay. I was expecting it to be something a little bit warmer that's fair i mean you, you heard my audio commentary of are we going to see Captain Caveman? Are we going to see... I, know, just... I was excited just to like hopefully see something else. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of okay with him holding back on some of that though. Same, yeah. Yeah. Like I think it helps that you have to put in Dick Dastardly and um, Blue Falcon just to establish what they're doing there. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what other stuff they like, throw in there randomly. Yeah. Which we got. I'm also very excited because we're going to get Muttley, who's one of my all-time favorite yes, characters. Yes, I... I... Do we know who's doing the laugh? I don't know, but like his laugh is iconic. So that's how my dad laughs. My mom always calls oh, my dad good. Muttley. So that's I've good. always just had a special love for Muttley. So no, I don't know. Hopefully it's fun. Speaking of Fast and Furious. Oh God. Why? Did you see Dominic Toretto drop off his version of the Batmobile in that new teaser? Oh yes. <laughs> nice segue. Thank well you. Done. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I did see Matt Reeves reveal of the new Batmobile. The new Fast and Furious themed Batmobile. Yeah. It basically just looks like one of Dom Toretto's challengers. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on it? Uh, it looks like it's from Fast and Furious. Yeah. A little bit. I mean the front, the front image is cool. I like uh, the, 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 so we had like uh, him standing next to it. Then we had the back shot where it's just a decked out normal car. The front feels like it kind of they just kind of squished the design of the the Beatos. Um, oh, okay, a little hood, bit, yeah. Um, which I don't like very much because it just looks like a normal car. That's the thing is it does just kind of look like a normal car, but it has this like big exposed like crazy jet engine shoved into the back of it, mm -hmm. and still a lot of red tints. I'm not stop with the red tinting. I know. Matt. I'm. Mm, I hate to say this, but the more aesthetic material I'm getting out of this, the less excited I am for the movie. And I know that's me being like super nitpicky nerd, and as we established last week, apparently I'm just like. I mean, you you do have one, two. How many? How many? I only have two Batmobiles in on, a, on no, display at the oh, moment. No, sorry, four. Two of which though are the the 1960s ones on display, but also on my dining room table next to it is the massive '89 Batmobile Lego and the little right. one on top of it. Exactly. So, um, oh, and there's actually the Beatos Hot Wheels is on my desk. So five <laughs> Batmobiles on display. We'll call it seven, just really. Just from where I'm sitting. <laughs> Look, 
so as a big car person, as a big Batman fan, like the Batmobile is probably part of the reason I love Batman so much. It's like, mm-hmm. is it, it, there's always that intersection that happens. And I guess the reason I'm a little bit skeptical on this one is it just feels like everything is a proto design. Mm-hmm. Like the suit feels like a proto suit. I mean, I like the bat cycle because that actually looks just like a normal motorcycle with like the bat ears on it, which yeah. that's kind of typical for how Batman's been in the past. But with this, yeah, it just kind of looks like a muscle car that they've shoved a jet engine into. Yeah. And well, everything about the look we've seen so far, because I think it's been confirmed this is year two, Batman year two. Yeah. Um, so it, it feels like everything is being handmade by him. And so the instead of using his military branch of Wayne Industries, right? And so something I did see that actually made me be a little more accepting of the design was someone pointed out that it looks like someone other than a billionaire could have built it. Yeah, which is actually a really good point. Like if you really stop and think about all the gadgets and the toys and the Bat Wing and the Batmobile and stuff like that, you'd be like, this would. There's a very limited number of people who could probably have the financing to do this. So. Whether that's intentional or that's just like an inspiration of the design they're going into that they're not going to like touch on in mm-hmm. the film itself, that idea, whether it's intended or not, is an interesting one. I guess my concern is, yeah, Bruce, he's just an everyman. It's just you know, it's just a guy. Yeah, it's, it's Bruce. It's uh, Goody Bruce. He's yeah. just an everyman. He puts on his Kevlar pants one leg at a time. Exactly. His butler puts on his Kevlar <laughs> so pants, pants one, one leg, leg at, at a time. time. I, I guess I'm just a little bit worried that. This is, it just feels like Batman Begins light Yeah. at this point. And I thought, you know, what I liked about Batman Begins when it came out is that it was this really different take on everything, but it still felt very authentically Batman. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, this is like the most grounded way we can do this. Let's have a justification for why he has the suit and the car. And there's a kind of an origin for everything that that natural organic way of doing it was nice. And this just kind of feels like we're doing all that again. I'm like, okay, we get it everyone has seen the dark Knight, but can we do something different aesthetically? And again, that's one thing I liked about the Snyder suit was that it was very comic book inspired. What I didn't like was that his bat, what a fucking Snyder fan over here. I'm such a Snyder, I'm such a hardcore Snyder fan. Release the Snyder cut hashtag. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What, but like, I didn't like this. He's not the dad. Hashtag. (laughs) (laughs) He's not my dad. I didn't like the, um, Batman versus Superman Batmobile. Cause again, it felt like too many guns. (laughs) <laughs> one too many guns <laughs> and two it's like okay yeah once again we're just doing like a version of the tumbler like make it a batmobile mm-hmm. like I, I think that's what i'm a little bit worried about is that we're gonna have a lot of a, a lot of elements of it being like oh it's not quite batman it's not really batman but because it's young he's a young early version that's why and i'm just worried that now that's gonna get we're gonna see that rolled out in the rest of the aesthetic too like it's gonna be like a not very Catwoman suit, the Riddlers. I, I, I'm worried it's going to be even think more. Gonna, you think he's going to have a face tattoo? I bet he's going to have a question mark face tattoo. No, I think they've learned their mistakes with face tattoos at this point. I think it's going to be because they're so prevalent in culture now. It's not going to be like overdone like I, Joker. No, I don't think he's going to be like full on Post Malone Riddler here. <laughs> I don't know. I want it to be Post Malone Riddler. <laughs> I, I'm just a little bit worried that they're going to, this movie is going out of its way to be realistic and we've already done that once before and i wanted to see something different this time around yeah so so now my very important question for you revolving the batmobile uh how do you think the doors are going to open 
Is it going to be normal? Do they? Normal doors this way? Is it going to be like the the DeLorean doors where you go the going go doors? Up? I yeah. think they're just normal. Is it going to be the reverse door where the stupid cars that open the, the like, suicide doors? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's just going to be normal doors. I don't think so. He's too rich for normal doors. But how else could they do it? Like that roof is razor thin. There's no room for gold wings built into it. You don't know that. There's movie magic. Or do you think it, it's it's like a it's like the drawstring curtain analogy we had last week, where the door just like <laughs> and then he's like roll out. up doors. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's garage just doors. A bead, do- yeah. <laughs> a bead door. Very practical. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I'm pretty sure he's just stunted in the 70s. He can't get out. <laughs> or actually, here's what I'm hoping for is that it's like Dukes of Hazard style. And they're welded shut. It's every time he has, oh, to, he has get, to go through the window, he has to like climb in and out of it every single time, like yeah. shimmy his way. It gets stuck on the, the various Rob Liefeld esque belts he's got strapped along his leg. Yeah. Oh, no, he, he has to he takes off all the straps <laughs> yeah. and belts, throws them out the window first, then jumps out. <laughs> Hides behind the Batmobile <laughs> to put everything back in, back on. He's like climbing out head first, like half his torso is hanging out, his legs still in there. Yeah. So hang on. I'll be right there. Give me a minute. That's why he needs Robin so quickly <laughs> to help him get out of the door, get out of the window. <laughs> but he's still not going to unweld his door. He's just going to build in an ejector seat so that as he's getting close to the crime, he just launches Robin at the criminals. Yeah. Just to bowl them over. And then eventually he shows up. Exactly. <laughs> now that i'm here for mm-hmm. what was the there was like the joke that i saw this week of uh alfred talking to bruce and he's like bruce you made your costume all dark and mysterious why is that i was like so the villains can't hit me mm-hmm. it's like oh you made robin's suit so bright and flamboyant why did you do that so the villains won't, so hit the me. Villains won't shoot me <laughs> <laughs> yep it's like you're a sneaky one batman i don't know no, it'll still be interesting. Uh, but, I mean, speaking of The Dark Knight, Christian Bale, apparently, at least according to Tessa Thompson, is going to be the villain in Thor Love and Thunder. Mm-hmm. That's super interesting. Uh, yeah, because I guess the last time he played like a villainous character would have been American Beauty. Uh, right? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, that would be the last time he played... I mean, yeah, he's, like, he, he's not a villain, but he's an asshole in um, the movie where he's brothers with uh, Wahlberg. What was that movie? Oh, uh, the fighter. The fighter. Thank but he's you. like, but I mean, he's he's sympathetic. He's though. a sympathetic asshole. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good movie. Mm-hmm. That's good. He's really good. We talked about Warrior recently. I think like last time All yeah, right. we talked about Warrior. Yeah, <laughs> Warrior's great. <laughs> it's great, isn't it? <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, this is interesting. Like, I think had I not seen Ford versus Ferrari, I would have been more confused. Mm-hmm. But that was the first I've ever seen him having fun on screen. I'm I'm very curious how he'll get along with Taika. I can't imagine he would sign up to do this unless he liked working with Taika, unless yeah. he was excited about that working with him specifically. Like he's not the kind of guy who needs to do stuff. Like I'm sure he has quite a bit of money just from doing The Dark Knight. Right, yeah. yeah. Just um, from doing American Hustle. <laughs> yeah, I mean yeah, I mean he's he's a big enough name that you know, I'm, I'm sure he you know, gets a pretty sizable paycheck from every film he does, but he also seems to be pretty choosy. Yeah. You know, and I, I think what I liked about him in Ford versus Ferrari is that, you know, on paper, you can kind of see where that might be a little bit in the, the Oscar Beatty vein, which he, he generally tends to kind of go towards. Mm-hmm. But it's also a character that allowed him to actually be like a little more loose and fun and have like a kind of a, a more upbeat energy. And so maybe he actually had fun making a movie. 
Yeah. I mean, for all I know, he probably loves making every movie. I know, he's ever I, been I know, because he, he, well, yeah, he is one of those actors that, <clears throat> at least from the few interviews that I've seen, he he feels like he's always serious. Like kind yeah, of the he, same vein as like Joaquin Phoenix. Like he feels like he's always on. Yeah. Uh, and and I feel like that personality won't mesh with Taika well, as someone who feels like he's always off. He's always, always <laughs> just completely offbeat doing his own thing. Yeah. But you know, but I mean, I think he's able to bring out that warmth in actors that I don't normally see. Like I think I've said this before, like I, I like Scarlett Johansson. I think she's very good, but I don't, she's not someone that I'm super excited about all the time. I've always found her just be a little bit generic kind of like, I can see the talent there, but I'm not necessarily like it charmed by her. And I was super charmed by her in um, Jojo rabbit. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I can see Tiger being able to kind of bring out that side of people yeah. a little bit. I don't know. I'm, I'm curious about it. I mean, this is, it's such a weird movie at this point. I'm so excited about it. Yeah. It, it's just full of mystery. Yeah. <laughs> like the MCU movies, just the properties in general, it just seems like they're getting more and more specific and, and more weird and leaning even more heavily into genre. And even within that, we have like fucking the multiverse of madness. We've got one division coming out. This still seems like probably the weirdest of all of them. And I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah. It's going to be fun. Well, I, I think, I, I feel like there's pressure on Taika to to go weird because this is kind of taking the spot of where Guardians 3, I assume, was supposed to be. Mm, yeah, it's going to be a while before we get that So now. he has kind of the back of Ragnarok, which is the best, I would say, for me, I'd say the best comedic yeah, it's, it's, film. Yeah, it's the most funny MCU of all of them. Yeah. Um, and, and now also to replace the the galactic scale of yeah. guardians. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what that movie ends up being, mm-hmm. but uh, no, I'm definitely here for it. Another slightly odd little bit of news. Beauty and the beast is going to be a live action prequel series on Disney plus featuring Gaston and LeFou. <clears throat> yes. Did Reprising they... their roles, Josh Gad and uh, um, Luke Evans, L- handsome man, Luke Evans. Oh God, he's so handsome. Uh, and, and we had a brief conversation about this before, and, and we've kind of had similar conversations over the past week or so. Um, they have, Disney has confirmed Wolfu's character is gay. Yeah. How much do you think that will play into a Disney Plus show, if at all? I'm going to go with very little. I'm going to go with little to none for a couple of reasons. One, even their inclusion of that in the movie was pretty lackluster. D- Disney. It was like a footnote. Yes. And but it, and it was a footnote, which was only made more egregious by how much they emphasized it. Agreed. In the lead up to the film itself. I feel like Disney has this, the situation they're putting themselves in where they're patting themselves on the back for doing the smallest amount of effort possible. Yeah where we see it as LeFou, we saw it in Infinite, in, uh, in, um, Rise of Skywalker and Endgame. Skywalker. We saw it in, uh, Endgame. Endgame. Thank you. With the conversation, um, in Onward, there's like, a a six second where there's a police, a female police officer that comes up. He's like, Oh, I need to call my girlfriend about this. Yeah. And like, you, you see it on screen and you just like, for me, at least I see the, like the the shareholders just being like, oh, good job, good job. Hey, you, great job. That, that was yeah, good. Yeah. Great. We did it. All right. On to the next one. 
So here, here's thank you for allowing me a platform to to bring up my soapbox here. I'm yes, gonna, gonna stand up on top of here. So, look, anything is better than nothing, right? But little moments like that, like so, the way that they're kind of rolling this out is basically like they're including it in very passing references in a way that's designed to make it seem like it's just a normal part of the world, which is obviously how the real world is done, but you don't really get credit for doing the little things unless you've done the big things first. Mm -hmm. Like you don't get credit for making glancing allusions to gay characters. If you actually haven't had a prominently gay character featured anywhere before. Now, my understanding is that we're going to get that with the internals, that it's going to be like an actual gay couple, Mm -hmm. two men, which is great. We'll see how that actually plays out. Like, my understanding about um, the the creators over at Marvel, like Kevin Feige, but also um, Victoria Alonso, who's like kind of the, there's like a kind of trifecta up at the top of people. She's one of them. I was actually able to listen to her speak within the last year at an event, and she's super fun, super charming. Um, but, you know, she's a lesbian, and so for her, representation is huge. And so she's been a big push for that. And I really genuinely believe like Marvel wants that to happen. I think maybe Disney's been pushing back on them a little bit Mm -hmm. because they're afraid of fucking middle America or whatever. But I'm great. I'm very great. We're going to get that, but like you got to actually have a gay character first. And what's a little bit concerning. And the reason I don't think we're going to see a lot in the Disney plus series is you just remind me again today that, um, I Victor, no, love, <laughs> love Victor, love Victor, not the I Ru- Victor, <laughs> the Russian parody of Love Simon that we we're love getting. Victor. That what was supposed to be the Disney Plus show is getting pushed to Hulu. Yes, and I they, can, they 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 did make an announcement about it of kind of the like it's too mature for a Disney Plus series and for the Disney brand, which is bullshit because of everything that's on Freeform. Yeah. I know, and and I think a lot of the I think some of the freeform stuff is even up on Disney Plus. I right? I meant to double check beforehand. I don't remember how much is up, but I, yeah, I, I do think there's a few shows that like, cross over. But also, they're just being like picky choosy where they want. Like all the Simpsons, yeah, is up on there, and all of Marvel. And we've talked about this before that Marvel isn't super sexualized, mm-hmm. and it's it's very PG thirteen. It's like the most PG thirteen ever. But, you know, like, there's little bits of, like, comment, like, comments here and there and jokes and some references and stuff like that. Like, they're fully capable of being, like, dipping their toes into that water. They're just being choosy about what they want to do. And so pushing it onto Hulu means that maybe more people see it. I don't know the subscriber numbers in terms of Hulu versus um, Disney+. Plus, But I think... I think the people who that show matters to the most are probably going to be on Disney plus more so than Hulu to begin with. I, that matters most to like young kids and teenagers who need to see someone like them on their own shows. Right. And, and I think the other big problem that comes with that is the level of advertising. There's a hundred new Hulu originals that don't get any, they don't, they don't get any time in the limelight. Whereas when Disney Plus gets a new show, it's all that's talked about for weeks and months. Yeah. Well, and it's the platform is, by comparison, relatively small. And so much of what's on there is back catalog that it's really easy to prominently feature something like, hey, this is the new thing that's on here. Because yeah. the, the new content is kind of just slowly trickling out. 
So yeah, a new show on Disney Plus on the literally on the platform itself is going to get far more eyeballs than it would be on Hulu, even if there are more subscribers for Hulu. Yes, but but then talking about that, we have an interesting, an interesting kind of flip side of that conversation mm-hmm. of Disney putting themselves Disney Plus putting itself in this very specific spot where I'm going to call it the the uh, like Netflix kids of streaming platforms now. Where they're okay, trying yeah. so hard to cater, yeah, to that middle America, to that younger audience. Where uh, we had a tweet come out about a week ago from Lizzie McGuire herself, Hillary Duff, asking Disney and get, trying to get fan support to move the Lizzie show that has been pushed back from Disney Plus to Hulu mm-hmm. to make an actual show that still resonates with fans, but you know, you you can't make a show about a thirty-year-old woman on a kid-friendly platform. No. You just can't. Like, it it, it doesn't work. And, like, and still have the same, like, emotional stories that, yeah. that the original Lizzie McGuire had. You need to actually talk about real adult things. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you need the right platform to do it. Yeah. If they do it, I, I would love for them to do a joke episode where they bring back Aaron Carter, or <laughs> they try and talk about Aaron Carter again. And still, in that universe, he's also gone crazy. Wait, was he on... I never watched Lizzie McGuire. Okay. Yeah, he, he was... Uh, he was on the Christmas episode. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Of course he was. Yeah. They, they, had two, they had two Christmas episodes in Lizzie McGuire with two very separate guests. So they had Aaron Carter in one. It's, mm-hmm. it's people, one of people's favorite episodes. Yeah. And the second guest... Was Jimmy Carter. Was Steven Tyler. Oh, okay. What? <laughs> Somehow your real answer was more absurd than my joke answer. Steven what Tyler. What the fuck? Be, uh, because um, his daughter was a huge fan and she wanted to be on the show. I'm assuming not Liv Tyler. Like not his, Liv Tyler. No. His, his a younger daughter, daughter. Yes. So the younger daughter was on the show as Lizzie's one episode friend. Yeah. Who wanted to meet Steven Tyler, who was playing Santa Claus. Oh my. There's so many levels to that. I don't even know where to begin. Yeah. I think I'm just going to not. <laughs> just going to skip right past it. That's fair. Yeah, so so Disney Plus is putting themselves in a very awkward situation yeah. where they're trying to dumb down some things and push off the other things. Yeah. And I, I look, I love Luke Evans. I like Josh Gad, too, and I thought those characters were great. I think it's also a little problematic to do a prequel show about a villain. A villain in war. Yeah. His, the villain story or the villain prequel is them in the French, not the French Revolution, because that's 20 years later. Yeah. In the... Whatever war, I can't English which, war. Yeah, I can't remember which war it is, but it's like six it, year war. It's yeah, that sounds right. It, it, it's just a little bit problematic because if you approach it with too much levity, you undercut the fact that that character eventually is a monster. And to be fair, they already softened him up quite a bit in the live action film versus the animated movie. Mm-hmm. Like he's nowhere near as predatory i would say in the live action film than in the cartoon right what am i remembering that right yes because like in the cartoon there's a lot of like i won't take no for an answer yeah that's like designed to be deliberately bad like he's meant to be an example of like a horrible person he's like flat out the villain i feel like in the movie tried to make him a little bit more just a little bit softer Mm mm-hmm but even then, like, it just seems like a weird, a weird choice. I mean, look, to be fair, though, I love Luke Evans. And Me too. He, he was really good in that movie. So I guess the more of him, the better. But it just seems like a slightly odd choice. I think we're also, I'm very curious if it's still, it's still going to have to be a musical, right? 
You can't not have those two and not give them songs to sing. Maybe I'm a little more on board now. <laughs> if it's the two of them fighting. It's just gonna be French war. It's just it's just, just Miz. Miz. It's literally just Lay Miz. Yeah. Is the prequel. I mean, I'm fine with it. I, I love Luke Evans. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, I mean, again, along the same lines of the same soapbox, I love him because he's like one of the few like pretty high tier out gay male actors. Mm-hmm. So don't even know he's gay, which I didn't know he was gay until recently. Oh, wow. Yeah. But I'm clueless. That's fair. Yeah. All right. I have one last piece of news here, which requires an even bigger soapbox than my, my gay I know, soapbox. I, I'm, I'm surprised you've been able to hold off for so long because I... I texted you about this. Oh, a lot of people did. Yeah. A lot of people text me about this. Uh, if, I mean, you guys, listeners can probably already guess what this is going to be, because if there's one thing that will inspire many people to text me, it's anything having to do with James Bond. Yeah. Well-established fact that James Bond is my number one fandom, even above Batman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and unfortunately, they needed more time to die, apparently, because No Time to Die has been pushed all the way till seven months. F- fucking November. Yeah. November. Oh, that's rough. It's and the thing is, this movie was gonna come out in a month. Mm-hmm. Like it was I mean, to further prove how close the movie was to release. I think didn't Daniel Craig host Saturday Night Live? Dan- yeah, Daniel Craig last on Saturday night. Yeah. Like, I watched the episode. It was okay. Yeah. He can be he he is funny. He's definitely capable of funny, but he just got to like write well for him. Which did, uh, did you watch any of it? No, yet? I have not watched it. Uh, there, there's one segment I think you'll like, and it's it's the the SNL cast writing themselves into a James Bond scene. That would be pretty fun. Okay, and that, it's part of his monologue. Okay, um, I think that that was probably the only for me that was kind of the only standout um, sketch from yeah. last night. Yeah, it, it's he is funny. I think it's it's hard to like make that work sometimes. Yeah. He's the only kind of brand of funny, but like, I mean, the movie was, it was almost here. It was fucking weeks away and it got pushed. And obviously it's getting pushed because of the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure the broccolis and universal and MGM looked at this one. Okay. Like we are, already looking at a generally compromised movie going audience. Like I was talking to a friend who went and saw a movie up at the AMC in Burbank on a Friday night, which is usually like a packed theater. She said it was dead empty. Like people aren't going out as much. People aren't going to theater. So one, it's already compromised Two, um, a severely compromised box office, likely in China, which is now a huge, huge market, mm-hmm. arguably maybe most theaters or most studios primary concern in terms of markets. Um, so they looked at this and also compromised in Europe too. I mean, like Italy's under quarantine parts of it right now. So they looked at this and went, okay, we're going to have a severely compromised box office. So they took the gamble of taking, I've read two figures, either one thirty or I, the other one is $50 million loss by pushing it this far. But I guess the idea is that you would more than make up for that by having a less compromised box office. Yeah, and, and aiming for the Thanksgiving crowd. And and putting out a time when Bond films have traditionally come out. They usually come out around, or at least the last few have usually come out around the November Thanksgiving timeline. Mm-hmm. So, look, in a lot of ways it makes sense. Hold on, so quick, quick question on that $50 million. Is that, is that just on, like, wh- where does that money coming from? What What is... I don't know specifically. If I were to guess, I would say it's they're going to have to put that into an additional round of marketing. Yeah, that was my thought. Print and advertising. Um, 
it probably is going to have to come down. Like, I mean, this is probably a, a small factor in that, but I mean, having to cancel and reschedule a press tour, as, mm-hmm. which would be part of the marketing. Yeah. Um, but not necessarily like just strict print and advertising. I think that's probably also part of it too. Mm-hmm. Um, there's maybe, maybe that figure also factors in competition. Mm-hmm. That I think there was really nothing else coming out around that time that was going to really compete with Bond. There's there is one movie that was coming out a week before that I would like to talk about. Okay, which one? Mulan. Oh, okay, right, right. Yeah. Because if we want to talk about movies that are being pushed back from coronavirus, uh, I'm surprised Mulan is still going through. Because I think Mulan is is specifically made for the Chinese market. Yeah, I think it's going to oh, do okay in America, down. but it is meant they're you know the way it's directed, written, it's it's closer to the original Ballad of Fa Mulan, the, yeah. the the sixth century story. Um, which I did weird research on this week. It's, it's why why is that weird for you? That's, it's not that, no. for me. That's true. <laughs> like... For me, it's not. Um, but yeah, this is a movie that is that is so focused on getting that audience. Yeah. And I think it's going to suffer great. I mean, it's going to do okay in America, but I think it's going to suffer greatly internationally. And, and I think I don't see it break. I, I think this might be the first live action remake excluding Dumbo to not break a billion. Yeah. And I think shareholders are going to see that, just see the number and not see the situation. Uh, and, and they're, they're going to make big changes from it. Yeah, it, it is a little bit surprising that they're not pushing it. I guess, I don't know if Disney has anywhere else they could push it, though. I mean, at this point, they they release more movies than anybody else. Mm-hmm. Like, But they have we have three back-to-back-to-back movies coming out right now, with Onward just coming out, Mulan coming out in two weeks, two and a half weeks, uh, and then Artemis Fowl. Which no one's going to see. Right, coming out. And one more after that is coming out a month after that. And then New Mutants is coming out right after that. Yeah, but New Mutants. Oh, and Black Widow's in there, too. Yeah, Black Widow's in there somewhere. I mean, the I would say that Onward and yeah, I guess those Mulan are, the, are, are the two that are the, the closest. I'm shocked in terms of demographics. that they're so close. That is a little bit surprising. I honestly think they're just struggling for windows. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, I mean, think about it. Like, this is, we're now, like, beating a, a, a dead horse here in terms of, like, criticizing some of Disney's choices. But... They now have to... Which I would never do. Disney is perfect, and I would never do anything absolutely not. towards the company. But, like, you know, they now have to find time for Pixar films, mm-hmm. for Marvel films, for Disney animation films, for Disney live-action films, for Fox live-action films, for Fox animated films, for Fox Searchlight films. I guess now it's all 20th Century Studios, and the mm-hmm. Fox part's gone. But, like, they have so many... And, they, like, I don't know how much they distribute through their, um, their non-Disney, just, like, Buena Vista marquee anymore i feel like that's a little bit less than they used to yeah but that's a shitload of things mm-hmm. they now have to and they i think they now have a situation where they're having to worry about competing with themselves and this was one of the big criticisms when the merger happened was before fox and disney could go up at the same weekend and be competitive and now they can't so now you're going to have a larger studio making smaller films to avoid competition with themselves and i think that situation right now is they don't have any other place to put Mulan. Yeah. Well, what what's weird is Mulan is is slotted where most live action Disney films land, yeah. right? Right in the middle of spring break time. Mm-hmm. Onward is the one that's off schedule. Oh yeah, since, it's kind of an odd time like, for it. Since the early '80s, I want to say since Fox and the Hound, 
Disney has had the same two dates for every Disney animated film pretty consistently. I think there's like two outstanding things, but it's always the third week of June or the third week of November. But this is Pixar, not... Yes, so when Pixar... So they, they would always have one or the other. Then when Pixar came in 96 with Toy Story, Pixar would always take the other date. Wasn't that 95? Yes. Um, Sorry, I had to. That's fair. Um, <laughs> Pixar would always take the other date. So if, if we're having a Disney movie in June, Pixar would have the, would Pixar would come out in November. Yeah. Because it, you know, they never want to compete with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that and it's been that way since you know since Toy Story. They've always had one come out on one of those days. Yeah. And so for some reason now, I think it's might have been a lack of trust in this movie because it, it's it's. It, it had a very lukewarm, uh, like a lot of people that I talked to, even in the Disney community, weren't excited for this movie. I'm not really like uh, I want to go see it at some point, but I'm not racing out to go do it. I, I legitimately don't know when I'm going to see it. I'll, yeah. I'll find a time. And and but... I think that scared Disney uh, from making another solo mistake. Oh, Jesus. Uh, and they they kind of gave it a shit spot. They gave yeah. it the pre spring break spot when most kids are still doing like in, in school stuff. Yeah. It's an interesting time in the industry in general, but I think now, especially when like we're seeing now how this, the industry that it's already kind of in a weird spot is now handling also a kind of a global, I, I feel very reluctant to use the word crisis, but, but it kind of is. I mean, it, it, it kind for, of is for Hollywood. It's, it's a crisis. Well, yeah, but I mean, like it's a, it's the majority of their international. No, I know. I, I guess just like for me, I'm seeing and hearing a lot of people, especially in LA, like way overreact oh, to this. Yeah. Everyone's buying water. It's not a fucking earthquake. People mm-hmm. like the taps are still going to flow. I was at Calm Disney yesterday. Here, here's the crazy thing that I've seen. I was at Disney yesterday using the restroom. There was a line to use the sink. Yeah, I believe it. That's insane. I mean, the best thing about this I've is people never are finally seen a, washing I've their never hands. seen a male use a sink in a bathroom before in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Any man that says they've used a bathroom sink is lying to you. Women, they're <laughs> lying to you. They're lazy and stupid. Until yesterday. Until now. Oh, I don't know. It'll definitely be interesting to see what happens. My, my, my final thought here on the Bond thing is my one worry with it getting pushed is that stuff's going to get leaked. That's true. Because, I, I mean... Because you have a full film sitting... You, yeah, you basically have... And, uh, and a lockbox. They, they might do a little bit of tweaking here and there because they have a little more time. I'm hoping maybe that means it's going to be a little bit shorter. <laughs> but I'd imagine they were probably pretty much locked at this point with it being so close to release. So, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. But I, I'm, I really hope things don't leak because I, this feels like a movie that's going to have some surprises and I don't want that to, uh, to come out before yeah. then. So. All right, are you ready? Are we are we done with news? <laughs> yeah, let's, I think we're we're done with news. We had a lot we, to talk about this week. We're gonna move on to uh, our first episode of Static Shock this week. It is Pop's girlfriend, Pop's boyfriend, Pop's boyfriend. Also, apparently, it's called Pop's lady friend. Yeah, renamed just for just for DC, DC universe, universe, which is I'm not sure odd. why. Mm, yeah, who knows? I don't know why they have to specify. I mean. I, I guess like they're, they are dating. They're like, dating. They, Maybe they're a little too early on to say like boyfriend girlfriend. Yeah, but also, it, I feel like you know. He, uh, Mr. The Robert, he's not a he's not a man of labels. That's true, <laughs> Mr. Hawkins. Is Mr. Not Hawkins a man of is not a, a label like, guy. It is a weird distinction to make. 
especially after the fact, just on a streaming platform. But it's like, I feel like when you're in your your 40s and you're dating, you're less concerned about whether you call each other boyfriend and girlfriend. I feel like you're just kind of like, oh, we're a thing or we're not a thing. Yeah, Who it's, cares? A th- it's, it's, a, it's a mysterious label until wife. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah, I feel like that label doesn't matter quite as much. Um, but no, I mean, this one's kind of an interesting episode because the, you know, the, the whole idea is that there's these, uh, couple kids who go to Virgil school. One of them's name is Royce. I don't remember the other guy's name. Ugh, it's, hold on. His name is, his name is Royce Axelrod. It's fantastic. It's what a, the fuck? That's, a, that's a great name. That? I mean, that is a Fast and the Furious level name Oh, it right is. There. But not for a, like a, you know, Royce Axelrod is, is a, is so, is is a dad at, at like NASCAR events and at truck rallies. Oh yeah, it, it, it's like a evil Knievel knockoff. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, he's he's not a dad. He's he's the um he's the mascot of like a yeah a uh, a monster truck rally. He, he's feels like the name of someone who would perform at a county fair. Yeah, <laughs> Royce Axelrod. <laughs> yeah, well. Well, Royce Axelrod. Frankie, Frankie's the other guy. Frankie, yeah, no one really cares about Frankie. Well, Royce is taking a break from his uh, his county fair tour, mm-hmm. and he steals a briefcase, which we find out contains three concentrated vials of the Bang Baby serum, serum, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, and that formula, that formula, that's and I guess that they are uh, after twenty four hours, they become combustible and they're going to explode. Mm-hmm. So while the- which. Scientists, why? I, I mean, th- that my favorite thing about this <laughs> show is that the science makes no sense whatsoever. It's just electricity powers makes him have super hearing. Apparently, we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, but so the police are aware of it being missing, and they're like going overboard trying to track it down. Uh, partially led by Trina, who we eventually, of course, find out is Robert's lady friend. Lady friend, please use the right term. I will, in fact, use the right term. Um, and so Static is trying to track it down along with Trina. Um, but things go awry when he goes to change out of his uniform and comes out of an alleyway and Trina led by her partner, basically like essentially do a, try to do a stop and search with. Yeah. He, they, they follow Bloomberg's great proposal. (laughs) He got stopped and frisked. Yeah. And so static like has to get away because he can't let them see his uniform. So he like, you know, basically like causes a bunch of barrels to fall and then tries to run away. Um, and he's obviously like super ashamed of this. He's a guy who is, you know, uh, values the police and is a, an upstanding guy. And his dad has instilled certain values in him. And, you know, what's the worst possible thing that can happen? He goes home and realizes that the cop he ran away from is, is sleeping with his dad. Sleeping with his dad. Um, I really liked how that sequence of events all played out. Mm-hmm. Same. Like even even to the moment of. Uh, Mr. Hawkins on the phone with one. I love that static was in full costume in a payphone. Yeah, that's so good. And I love that he left the payphone to go fly, like find a place to change, which I felt like was definitely a like nod a joke towards on Superman. Superman. Yeah. Um, but you know, his dad tells him on the phone, Hey, go and like clean your room too. It's super messy. So when he gets home, he just uses his powers to shove everything in the closet, which of its own could just be a scene. But the fact that it then has a payoff because mm-hmm. after Trina acknowledges what Virgil did, Robert's yelling at him in Virgil's room and wants to see the bag and Virgil won't show it to him, obviously, because the costume's still in there. And so Mr. Hawkins goes to open up the closet and all tumbles down on him and just, you know, it, it pushes him. I think this is probably the, the angers you've ever seen him, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. By far. And he 
still being a very composed, intelligent, empathetic guy, chooses to walk away rather than like really lose his temper, mm-hmm. which also then saves you know Virgil from having to explain the costume. Yeah, but I really like how that sequence played out. It, it's I don't know. It, it's for me probably the highlight of the episode, but also probably one of the highlights of the season, just in terms of that dynamic between Trina and the dad and Virgil. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. They, they set everything up really well to, and and then you just kind of feel bad for everyone. Like no one is in the wrong here. Yeah. Which I, I think that's why it makes it so effective is that everyone's just trying to do the right thing for their own reasons. And you can understand why you understand why Virgil's having to keep this secret. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a, 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 I would say almost at this point, like a trope we see played out a lot of, you know, the hero being put in a compromised position by trying to protect his secret identity. We saw it with in Batman Beyond with the slappers. Mm-hmm. I think this is maybe one of the most effective versions I've seen of that. I think so. Yeah, because it, it's it's so grounded in the emotions and the relationships. And even to the point where it puts Trina in a really tough spot because she's kind of having to come between Robert and his kids. And it makes her at a certain point actually like walk away from the relationship and you just you can just tell that everyone is so upset about this and like Virgil's upset about it too but like something you can do about it it's kind of its fault but and and I think you know the the not subtle subtext of it all is you do have a black kid oh, being yeah. approached by the police and and he even says to his dad you know <clears throat> when when his dad is like why'd you do it his basic response is I was scared yeah which is very still incredibly topical to today. Yeah. No, I mean like it, that you feel the tension of that moment when the police stop him in a way that you wouldn't feel, frankly, if it was like, and I just another villain hot streak. Yeah. Um, Ebon. Ebon. <laughs> oh, Ebon. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, again, this it's what the show does so well is find those really, grounded realistic moments and inject them into this i mean the thing the show then does too is like sometimes put in like really absurd things to kind of like balance it out like, like giant cockroaches like, and like a giant, giant cockroaches spider. who get like exposed to the the, the juice the and go and <laughs> wreak havoc on on the school um i think like that's like in some ways maybe one of the letdowns of the show is like this is i think otherwise a great episode and then that happens you're know, like oh, well i mean there fuck. has to be uh there has to be an action scene and then we we learn later on that the mutagen isn't consistent. Yeah. Uh, when when Axelrod himself uh, sniffs the formula, and that alone overmutates him. Yeah, he goes like full on Jekyll. <clears throat> yeah, which which makes me think that like I feel like the cockroaches should have been uh, like crazier. Yeah, like more weird and mutated. And yeah, probably purple because everything else is. Yeah, purple. I was for some reason I wanted like the paper to mutate. I think would have been fun. Would have been what would have been funnier. Hold on, here here's my my transition. What would have been funnier if it wasn't just paper in there, but you had like a banana peel in there, and you had like a giant a giant banana man <clears throat> running around. Well, I mean, it wouldn't even it wouldn't have to be a, a living villain, but just you know, it dead things can still mutate. There's still cells in them. Yeah. Yes. I don't know. That's how science is. There's cells and everything. <laughs> in this show, science does whatever the hell it wants. That's true. I, I, so. would, I just wanted the shot of like, as Virgil comes swinging through the school, you just see a giant banana peel, like like the 
the the the head of the banana just poking out like of the, poking out of the roof. skylight yeah yeah <laughs> uh, and you know you because we didn't we, there was a a surprising lack of puns and comedy in this episode not surprising because this is a very serious episode yeah but i feel like that would have been a great moment of a, know, a little humor yeah some potassium joke <laughs> we're always looking for a good potassium joke yeah also uh, are you like me in that you only remember that bananas have potassium because it was a plot point in one of the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids movies? No, I did not remember that. I, it was the one where the, uh, I think it was Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. I'm pretty sure was the name of it. The one where like the parents accidentally get shrunk. Yeah, that's. Yeah. And so the kids are left at the house by themselves. And like one of the, the kids has like, a, I don't know, like some potassium deficiency and he's got pills and they can't find the pills. Oh, the parents are freaking out. The kids don't know what to do, but then like they're smart, responsible kids. Like, oh, like bananas have potassium. Give them a bananas. Banana. <laughs> they tr- they're trying to reboot that on Disney Plus too. Oh yeah, and Rick Moranis is coming back. That's right. Oh god, I love Rick Moranis. I mean, like, let's talk about more news. I got more news. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about it. Um, but yeah, it it's. Uh, did you? I also found that the Royce's transformation was like really grotesque. It was very. Uh, I was gonna say like abrupt. <laughs> Well, very quick. Yeah. Yeah. But also like it, I guess we haven't seen a lot of the bang babies actually change. They just kind of show up fully formed having been exposed well, we, in the, past. the first bang baby we saw, uh, when we first meet the oh, metagang. Yeah, that's true. And even then, I guess in the moment when the, the big bang happened, we saw a few people like start to like freak out and mutate and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. this is a pretty like nasty looking transformation of him. Like all of his limbs going into like weird proportions. Yeah. And, yeah. It was I mean, gross. It, yeah. It was, it was gross. It's effective. It's very effective. Yeah, very clay face of them. Oh yeah, actually a little bit. Uh, yeah. So he he well he first comes. Royce first comes back to school with super strength. Oh yeah, from the mutagen. Uh, but then it continues to affect him, and in the middle of a test, uh, yeah, it just turns into this crazy purple monster. This basically hide. Yeah. Um, and Virgil has you know gets everyone out of the school calls um trina trina and then goes static mode to mm-hmm. to help everyone why did he call trina why not because he ended up gr- like finding the vials and throwing them into space yeah that i i did forget about the combustible aspect i think they could have <laughs> done something else i mean i get he, the thing is that's the because i thought he was maybe like go throw it in like the water somewhere, but then like you then contaminate the water supply slash like mutate all the fish. Mutate fish, yeah. Yes. We're, gonna, like, a, we're gonna get an actual giant octopus like thrashing into the city, which could be kind of fun. But he had to like throw it, and I guess he could like throw it up into the air because then it would just release the gas up into the clouds and come down as rainfall, and it'd be even more fucked. Mm-hmm. So I guess it kind of makes sense. The only place you could really do it would be into space. But I was like, oh man, like could freeze it. Yeah, I guess you could. Where would he? freeze it though oh he'd call over puff i mean i get okay here's the thing they could have done they he, could, he can he can bring they can bring back uh what's her face permafrost they could have back permafrost they, i mean they, they they could have had some explanation of like in the science lab they're working on something that had to be like stored in like liquid nitrogen or something like that and he could have like thrown it in there i no, i just think the combustible aspect is was the cop out i think they could have done something where like the vials weren't stable and it was going to melt through the case yeah it's some, something where you still end the episode where the scientists don't have the um, capability. No, sorry. The, 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 the product is gone. Oh, okay. Yeah. The, the scientists don't get anything out of it. 
but still have it where Virgil can clear his name other than just being like, hey, it's here. Yeah. You know, having some proof that it was here and it wasn't in his possession. Well, so because then he gets the key of the city. Well, this is the kind of weird thing about how this all plays out. So, like, he calls Trina to show up, and they don't actually do anything. If anything, they just get put in danger by having to fight Jekyll Royce, mm-hmm. Hyde Royce, Hyde Royce, that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, but it doesn't actually do anything to clear his name. Like, he gets a award for like quick thinking of pulling the fire alarm and getting everyone out of the. The school, which then in turn like resolves the the conflict with the dad and with Trina, which is all very well and good, but it doesn't do anything to dispel the fact that he had some sort of knowledge of what was going on. Because how did he know? At no point does anyone ever go like, "Wait, Virgil, how did you know this was here?" Yeah. If anything, that would only further. Yeah, exactly. That, that's that's like, why I'm saying they, a hole. Like they, he, they needed they needed evidence that it was here and not in his possession. Yeah. If anything, they just while still breaking. Yeah, it just probably. Or anything else, prove that he was involved in some sort of capacity. I think they could have done it where he here. Here's my idea of the rewrite: you have you have him have super strength, then you have it kind of taking over his mind. So in the test, he gets sick, and you kind of see like purple shades kind of take over him, and he gets really angry, and then kind of has this fit, and that's when Virgil's like, "Oh shit, he's mutating." Yeah. So then you go to the other guy whose name is not important. Yeah. Um, you're like, hey, give me the case. I know you guys have it. And what's going on to him is going to happen to the rest of the school if we don't get this out now. Mm-hmm. So then you have the case. Here, here you go. You don't even need the, the combustible part. They, they just need, the scientists just need it. Yeah. Um, so Virgil's running with the case, calls Trina, you know, ha- explains the situation. Like, I got it from this guy. Here it is. I have it. And then in the fight... You have, um, before he turns all hide, you have uh, Axelrod break the case in anger, like in the midst of a fight. He's, oh, okay. So we know in the, here we go. We know in the beginning he's mad at Virgil. He wants to fight Virgil. Mm-hmm. He sees Virgil running with the case. He chases after him. Um, Trina gets in the way of the chase. Uh, and in the conflict, he breaks it which causes him to fully mutate into the crazy monster. Oh, so okay. now Trina yeah. has seen the case. Virgil has cleared his name by being like, no, this is the guy that had it. Yeah. You see him being mutated and we still end with the scientist not being able to get it. Boom. And then he's still a hero. Fixed for, it. Yeah. And then let's cut out the cockroaches. And then this is basically like a perfect episode. <laughs> no, there. we still need the cockroaches, Chris. No, it's, an important, it's an important part. <laughs> we still need the giant mutated banana peel. That that I agree with. That's yeah. the last change they make to make the whole thing really come together. Yeah. Um, but no, I I, I like this uh, quite a bit. Mm-hmm. You know, and I I liked too that um, when Virgil and Sharon both figure out that their dad is dating someone, that you know, Virgil's actually kind of on board with it, and Sharon's the one who's really put off by it, and she has to acknowledge like you know she's wrong and, and apologize, and it's 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 a nice moment. They handle that all really really well. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, any other thoughts, or should we... Let's jump to the better episode from this week. Oh, interesting. You think this is the better episode? Oh, you didn't like this one? I didn't say I didn't like this. Okay. I, I would say that I... I love this episode. I, you know what the thing is? This is a really good episode. So we are, of course, talking about a Bad Stretch, the third appearance, am I correct? Yes. Of Rubber Band Man. And he's, he's full hero now. He's a... Maybe. Maybe. Um... No, like this is a, it's no, it's a pretty interesting episode. Like Rubber Band Man has done his time, he's out, and now he wants to use his powers for good and to become a hero. And 
it puts him up against the the meta breed mm-hmm. and we eventually find out that it puts him up against Ebon, who is his brother. His older brother. His older brother, which we did not know up until this point. And is never mentioned again. <laughs> never brought up again, ever. I mean, it definitely feels like a bit of a convenient retcon, but it doesn't feel like it's unrealistic. And I think it does give the, the episode a lot of really good like emotional texture and mm-hmm. actually makes it come together really quite well. So like, I, I, it, it didn't feel like a... You know, quite as absurd as say, like a you know, like Austin Powers three. Oh my God, they're brothers! Moment. Yeah. Also looking at you, Spectre. <laughs> um, you know, this worked a lot better for me in that regard. Here, here's one of the things that that I want to ask you about because I I had I thought about it, and I'm I'm, I'm very curious. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know from this episode that the the latex suit that Rubber Band Man wears is something he bought. It is not something that is like part of him. Oh, like because I had always assumed. Yeah, because uh, we see a version of it. Yes, because Ebon has the same suit that he buys. Yeah. So does that mean when Rubber Band Man is in his Adam state, is he folding him? Is he folding the suit inside himself constantly? Yes. So when he transforms, he just unravel unravels it. I think yeah. So, okay, so with that, we see him have a couple costumes, a couple outfits. Okay. Does he have an entire wardrobe just folded into himself constantly? Yeah. When he turns into a trench coat? Because <laughs> it's a blue trench coat. I guess I guess he just has to turn into his blue costume and then fold himself into the shape of a trench coat. Um, does I, he, I don't like this. <laughs> does he do laundry ever? I don't think so. No, I don't think he does either. Unless does like his insides like clean the clothes for him? I get, does do they get dirty? Does he They're have latex? Does he have insides? Does he eat? Have we ever seen him? We, eat? I don't think we ever see him eat. We we've mm. I was gonna say we I think we saw him at the burger place, but I don't. Yeah, we we no we saw him at uh what what's the not fat burger? Oh um burger jester burger, whatever. Uh yeah whatever yeah um. We in the very first episode we saw him at the burger joint because Richie and Virgil are listening to the new rap song. Yeah. While he's in the back and he throws a hissy fit. No, that's right. Yeah. So I guess he does. But we didn't see him eat. We, we just saw him, him there. Maybe he puts up on a show. So it's I, a long it's just a ruse. Maybe he's just got like like in like sacks inside his body now mm-hmm. that just like stand in for like generic like general organs. Like maybe he's just got like like a digestive sack and a clothes sack. Yeah. And a laundry sack. Great. I don't, I don't like this. It's, it's never worth trying to unpack the science in any of these episodes. I mean, this, this episode literally starts with Richie inventing a, like a low frequency sonic tracker that Virgil can somehow hear because he can like electrify his ears to hear radio signals, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. Where's the sign? Where's the wrong science in that? No, it's all perfect. Boo-boo the follows. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit odd. And, and Virgil playing Cat's Cradle with a wire. Um, I mean, you can get... You... you could, I mean, he's ele- he, he's electrifying it. So yeah, but you, you can get, make um, it more malleable. What is it? Because what? Oh. Is it tungsten? Is that the metal that's inside light bulbs? The filament? Yes. I guess you can get thin enough that it would behave more like a... A loose string than a wire. Okay. It's a little, it's a little silly. 
It's science. It's, it's kind of a fun moment. They, they can bring it no, back. No, I, I do like it. Yeah, they bring I, it back. Because I thought it was just like a normal cat's cradle thing. And then he's like, oh, no, it's a wire. Yeah. Uh, and what is it called? It, it has a it has a fun name. Oh, I don't know. Um, the Nova Burst. The Nova Burst. Love it. Don't even know where that comes from. Uh, we did get the introduction of another meta this week. Of we did. Aqua Maria. And I have to get on my soapbox for a second. Please. I, let me just shift this along the floor here over Shh. to you. Okay. Yeah. Step. Step, step. Nice. Well done. Um, <laughs> Butch Hartman. <laughs> I can't say he stole another villain because water themed villains have been around for a while. Do you ever come up with a name for this segment? Not yet. I'm still thinking. What about bitching about Butch? Yeah. Yeah. Bitching about Butch is good. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Butch Box. Nope. No. Yeah. We'll go bitching about Butch. Yep. I love Butch Hartman. I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I, I want that to be clear. I, I love Danny Phantom. I love Fairly Odd Parents. I'm okay with Tough Puppy. Um, <laughs> Not even going to go there. So we have Aquamaria in this episode. Very shortly after Aquamaria makes her appearance in Fairly Odd Parents, not in Danny Phantom this time, in Fairly Odd Parents, we have a character introduced with one of my favorite character names, H2 Olga. So good. So good. Who is the exact same character? Yeah. Butch. I don't like having to call you out on these things. I love you. I appreciate you. You, you made a lot of great stuff. We're starting to see the I cracks. Mean, great artist steal. That's fine. Yeah. So Picasso it, said it. Yeah. And when he stole that from Leonardo. <laughs> the, the Ninja Turtle, Leonardo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who in turn definitely stole it from Donatello. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Donatello's the smart one of that bunch. Yeah. And I mean, that can go all the way back to Pluto at this point. <laughs> Who heard? It, who just heard it from some drunk? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, just some, uh, yeah, some drunk Greek guy hanging out on a pylon. Um, but yeah, no, like Aquamaria is kind of fun. Like you know, and it's, it's clever. Like Ebon is basically going out there trying to recruit more people for the meta breed. He wants Aquamaria because her powers will be a good Nullify foil. Static, yeah. Against static because that happen of like he, he she like basically like, takes him out. Um, and then Rubber Band Man shows up to save the day and then gets all of the attention and the press media. And Static is jealous. So many fans, so many adoring fans. All female, except one. Except for Marvin. Marvin. Yep. Um, I, but I like that Static is is jealous, and that's why he's opposed to Rubber Band Man actually being a hero. Like, it really does come to down to jealousy. I mean... Sharon even says, you know, like, oh, you know, Robert, or Adam, Rob Batman, is like not a bad guy. He's just turning into a self-centered jerk. You know all about that, don't you, Virgil? Yeah. And even Richie point, like, at one point calls him out. It's like, are you sure it's, you know, not just your jealousy that's making you doubt this? Yeah, I mean, he is, Static is the hero of Dakota. Yeah. Uh, and now, you know, it happens with every hero. It's always someone else that comes in. Yeah. Who's younger, more attractive, just as good at animating as the other person, but no one understands that. <laughs> <laughs> fucking brian <laughs> anything personally you want to no. you want to get off your chest here not at all also because uh, i was thinking about that like there's always the hero like it's jealous of like the younger hotter newer better hero um i love that batman never got jealous of dick grayson right yeah instead he just slept with his girlfriend <laughs> yeah i mean he, well so he, he may have done that in multiple iterations yeah too but to be fair i did see so we really got the last laugh of that. He did. I did see someone um, post a couple comic panels on Instagram or on Twitter 
and it was uh, Nightwing fooling around with Catwoman. Oh, so it all you know, yeah, it, it's it's happened in both ways. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Batman doesn't get jealous. No, even though Nightwing is definitely hotter. I mean, how can he? He's always lived in Alfred's shadow. That's true. <laughs> he doesn't get jealous because there's always been someone better than him. That's true. I mean, Alfred is the greatest Batman character of them all. Exactly. Well established. Um, but yeah, so they're trying to expand the meta breed, and then uh, Ebon takes it very personal that Rubber Band Man is working against him because, of course, they are, in fact, uh, brothers. Which, like, this, that they start to, like, tease that over the course of the episode yeah like it's initially it's like how could you do this to me you're you're so awful and like okay they have some sort of connection maybe they're friends something going on and then when they finally acknowledge like yeah and you're my brother like it had it, it really yeah it works the punch is there i agree i i i think i i love the whole story because then you have static trying to capture ebon and rubber band man lets him get away mm-hmm. which causes a lot of flack and and a, 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 is yeah, everyone turns against him now. Yeah. All of a sudden. You know, the police are after him. Um But the the one thing that I I didn't like was that rubber band man was able to beat him on his own. I think it I think it would have been a great moment where you know, I think they would be evenly matched because they have similar esque powers, I guess. Yeah. Um or they certainly portray Ebon's powers in a way to make it seem reminiscent of Rubber Band Man. Yeah. To then be able to explain how just Ebon putting on a, a rubber suit would allow him to impersonate Rubber Band Man. Yeah. But I, I think it would have been nice if Rubber Band Man was like static, you know, like finish him off. Just just like as like to show that trust. Yeah, if they had to work together, I think it would have been a bit more interesting. Yeah. Um, but still, love the episode. Love every time Shiv and Talon are on. I think they're mm. Two of my favorites. And of course, our favorite. Oh, Carbondillo. Armadillon. Armadillon. <laughs> slash Armadillon. Armadillon. Love him. Yeah. Uh, I, I also loved that Static actually had a pretty clever way of defeating the Metabreed this time around when they're attacking the uh, like the Best Buy, basically. And Talon's yeah. like flying after him, screeching at him. He throws on a couple of headphones. And then as she goes to screech, puts some microphones in her face. And then the feedback like resonates throughout the store and takes them all out. Mm-hmm. Super clever, actually. Yeah, that's smart. Because a lot of times he just does things like he, like later on, throws a fridge at them. He throws a fridge at them. Or, you know, at one point in this episode, he uses electrolysis to basically yeah. destroy <laughs> Aqua Maria. <laughs> and then to talk she, about that. Like, it's, uh, yeah, he basically, so he uses electrolysis, which is the process by which water is separated back out into its component hydrogen and oxygen. I'm pretty sure then if you just let the loose hydrogen oxygen go into the atmosphere, they don't recombine. Right. Yeah. He just into a cloud. Her. Yeah. He basically like kills her. And then she comes back to life because like the, the two gases condense back into each other. And then she rains into a puddle and reforms once again. Mm-hmm. That does not hold up as well as just like throwing some microphones in front of a, no. screeching, <laughs> a, a screeching bird banshee. Here's what I think happened. I think one of, one of the writers, kids was in chemistry class i think so. and learned about it that day mm-hmm. and he's like you know we can use that hey there's something here yeah uh, i also loved that when um static goes to confront the meta breed at what is essentially an old Chuck E. cheese yeah and he uses the animatronics <laughs> use the animatronics against them um but that ebon tries to kill him by throwing him through a portal to hell 
I think it's just to a volcano. Where? Who knows? But yeah, like, it, it was. What is, what it is was the range? The, the what is center the, of the earth? What is the range of Ebon's like tunnel power? Is Pretty there? infinite, I guess. It's just shadow to shadow, isn't it? I guess so, and instantaneous too. Yeah, I, he went super, super far. But to your your point about um, Static and Rubber Band Man, if they had to work together instead, like what would have been a great moment is um, if Static uses his his Nova Blasting, whatever, again on Ebon, and he's trying to escape. And then he goes to make a portal, but instead Rubber Band Man like jumps in front of him and lays out and blocks him from teleporting. Yeah. Like, and then it's like him literally doing the exact opposite from what he did before. Yeah, that would have been great. Yeah, it would have been a, a nice callback to the previous moment. It would have been them working together because that's the whole point is that Static has to learn to like trust somebody else and for them to work cooperatively together. Mm-hmm. That would have been a, a slight little tweak that maybe would have made it um, land a little bit better. But And I also, I don't remember when they learn each other, when, when, Adam learns his identity. I feel like he should know by now. Yeah, probably. Like, I, I don't like that he, like Virgil, that they, they, since they're all so close already. Yeah. And they have such specific interactions where it's not like, hey, we're friends and now I have to go and be someone else. It's like, no, you're dating my sister. Yeah. But we're also enemies slash frenemies. Yeah. Like we're, we're face to face all the time. Just sometimes I'm wearing goggles. Yeah. Yeah. Much like in Danny Phantom. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. With Valerie. I'll save that for later. You know, but, but they know. In, in Danny Phantom, they know each other. Yeah. Pretty they I think like in the third episode of this, they Valerie and, and Danny learned each other's identities. Yeah, that would make sense. But uh no, I mean I, No, did Valerie sorry. Yeah, you go, you go. But uh, now that we've talked through it, I think I see what you mean. Like this I like them both a lot. I think the first episode might have some slightly more interesting real world messaging into it and Mm -hmm. a little more grounded, which I like, except for the giant cockroaches. But I think this episode doesn't have as many like weird flaws and missteps. Well, I think did I, I think I might've might've brought this up in the last episode. I I've been thinking of how, like, can we have a static episode? Can we have a superhero show without a villain really? Um, And then I I think, um, the last Pop, episode Pop's girlfriend was is probably the close, yeah, the closest is, we've is, had so mm-hmm. far. But even then, by the end of it, we still get a yeah. Where the villain is the situation until the last, until minute. the last little bit, and then actually and the cockroach and, and the giant cockroaches Ugh, and the giant spider. God, yeah, that's so dumb. Um, but no, I, I agree with you. This is this is a really damn good episode, mm-hmm. actually. Yeah, they they've done really well with Rubber Band Man in this show so far. Yeah, and I think we have we have a couple more appearances of him, nice. and we get we get a hint of the next time we see him. Because he sits down in his apartment, and what's next to him? Giant pack of fan mail. There's a fan mail focus episode. There's a fan mail focus episode. Oh my god, <laughs> I cannot wait! It's gonna be great. Mm-hmm. All right, well then, moving along here. So, uh, in lieu of a notes from friends section, why don't we uh, talk about Red Sun? Because we, yeah. we got some some notes from friends actually just about that specifically. So yeah, you and I were able to go to the premiere, which was. Super exciting. Yeah, really awesome. Um, also, I want to throw a shout out to uh, the Watchtower database because that's how I heard about it. Like, I don't, I don't know how it got out originally, but basically they had posted on Twitter being like, hey, if anyone's interested in going to the premiere at the Pacific Design Center in West Hollywood, where we live. Yeah, literally a block from me. Yeah, super close for you. Very, very close for me, too. Um, yeah, you can just basically all we had to do was just like email this email address. I guess the, the profiles for to Jimmy Olsen, who kind of like does these sort of premiere things. I hadn't heard about any of this, mm. but it's basically just like, 
name, address, how many tickets, and where you heard it from. So, yeah, I heard it from the, the DCA Watchtower. So thanks, guys, for cluing us in on this. But, no, I mean, it was uh, super fun to get to go. We got to see the movie. got to see a panel with um, the major cast yeah, it was, and crew afterwards. Yeah, it was pretty intimate. There were, there were probably, what, 200 people there? Yeah, it was small. It was a, it was a small venue. And it, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, good movie, good panel. Um, I mean, what did you think overall? You, you, you've you read Red Sun. I have read. Right? You've okay. made me read Red Sun. Yes, that's true. <laughs> you, you pestered me for months to I mean, read Red Sun. wasn't it worth it? It was. It was a good comic. It's a great comic. It's probably one of the best Superman comics. Yeah, I loved the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think... We, we've talked about this before. Their Elseworld stories are usually the ones that do better because they're not stuck in that kind of mediocrity that is the normal MC or DC animated movies. Um, you know, the movie is great. The voice acting is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I uh, are we going full spoiler already? Um, sure. Why not? Yeah. Uh, I like the. I think I like this ending better. Okay, yeah. So what, let's do this. Let's because I know some people haven't read the comic. Okay. So because like specifically, the ending is the exact same as the original. That's why I like it so much. Well, okay. So specifically, like we'll get to some notes. Um, we got some notes from Ashley, and as the time she sent those notes, she hadn't yet read the comic, and so I'm gonna definitely highly Ashley go read the comic. It's great. Yeah. Um. So I let's let's talk about the movie, and then like maybe towards the end we'll do a specific section talking about the differences because I think there are some things I want to talk about, um, especially regards to the ending. Okay. So. But for the movie specifically, it'll be, we'll include spoilers. So we'll have two different spoiler notifications in the show notes. So from this point on, spoilers for the movie, and then I'll let you know we're doing spoilers for the comic. Yes. I, here, here's one of the things that I would love to see, which I think would be so funny. Okay. Um, I think it'd be like a great Teen Titans Go parody where you have him land in Russia and in the USSR. <laughs> uh, I want, I'm already on board with I, this. I'm I want so on board. Ten minute, I want a 10-minute episode <laughs> of him landing in every other country <laughs> and just seeing what a New Zealand Superman is like. Oh, my God. I want that so bad. <laughs> yes. What a Brazilian Superman is like. <laughs> he, he lands in Antarctica, and it's just him as a penguin, basically. <laughs> He just see little little baby Kal-El like at the bottom of Penguin's feet just waddling around. Yes. Oh my god. I want this so badly. It would be such a great joke. <laughs> he, he lands in Atlantis and just drowns. I could watch 30 of these before I, before <laughs> yeah, I, I think like the, the joke would, would start to fade. But then at like 50 it'd get funny again. This could be like three years worth of content <laughs> uh also they do a version where instead of landing in kansas he lands in los angeles he yeah i was be- thinking of landing he in just LA. becomes a super asshole yeah he doesn't want to help anyone <laughs> no anything that doesn't help his career <laughs> he lands in florida oh god and just becomes the mascot of disney world <laughs> he's raised by gators yeah He, he, he here's here's what happened. He's raised by Gators, and it's just every night is just him fighting Killer Croc in a cage match. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, no, he'd be buddies with Killer Croc. He was raised by Gators. Well, yeah, but I mean, that's you know, it's it's like the friendly fight. Oh, okay, yeah, like yeah. a stage fight. Yeah. I would love the version of him that uh, like lands in Australia. Yeah, because he's a boomerang. He's a boomerang. <laughs> Whenever he in the flies, shape of an S. <laughs> when he flies, he, uh, just, he always, just comes back. Yeah. He's just constantly. Yeah. Oh, man. I, I want this so badly. The movie's okay, but this idea is gold. <laughs> this is perfect. I, 
that no, I needed this in my life until yeah. now. Now I really need it. But no, it like it, the the general idea of this story is fantastic. It's a really clever concept. Like what happens if Superman lands in the the same time he would have? Well, I guess not quite the same time because he lands in the nineteen forties. I guess in America or in your Russia. Well, in this he lands in Russia in the nineteen forties. Fifties. Fifties, but I mean, so he's uh, how old would he? I guess it would have been well because I'm trying to think about it because at one point we see like Kennedy as an an adult, but I think Kennedy that may have been a little bit older version of Kennedy because I think because yeah in this I think in this world Kennedy wasn't shot yeah it's the comic I know that's the case yeah um, Nixon was shot instead of Kennedy right um, I mean but yeah so he lands it doesn't really matter 40s 50s he lands around that summer mm-hmm. time frame um, but in the USSR early Cold War yeah, yeah exactly early Cold War USSR instead um, yeah I guess it would have had to have been. Probably early 1950s because it would have had to have been after World War II. Mm-hmm. And that sort of Cold War era would have really been in full swing. But it's a really interesting concept. Like what happens when you take this really well-known character and... This pillar of goodness. Yeah, exactly. And you just you put him in a completely different context. Mm-hmm. Where he is still a pillar of goodness. Yeah. But now we're coming from the perspective of he's goodness for the quote-unquote enemy. Yeah. And I thought they did a they did a pretty good job about painting everything in moral shades of gray. Yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting that the movie really kind of makes Lex the hero. It absolutely does. In all of this. I think this leans more heavily into the idea of Superman being the villain and Lex being the hero. And I think you even see that in a bit in the casting choices. Um, with Jason Isaacs as Superman, who doesn't, I mean, everyone's great. All the mm-hmm. voice performances are great. And I think, you know, Jason Isaacs um, is more known for his villain roles, but he definitely plays heroes on occasion. And then having Dietrich Bader as Lex, that was really, really What a clever. man. He, tangent he, here, <laughs> tangent here on this, like he was part of the, the panel, obviously, because it was all the major voice cast. And that man is so charming. He is such a charisma. He really is. Where when he walked on stage, just like you felt the audience just get, like giddy he he's just so affable mm-hmm. like we were talking to the car afterwards and like for me i knew him from the drew carey show long before i knew him for his, his voiceover work and the drew carey show he plays kind of an idiot um and what you don't get from that which you get from him as an actual person is that he has this this i don't know how to describe like this this composure he's so eloquent he's so charming he's so composed like he just you know, he'll get a question and he'll have this really thoughtful, meaningful, like funny answer completely off the, the cuff. Yeah. And it feels just effortless. It's, it's absolutely effortless. And, you know, you put him on stage with Jason Isaacs, who's a, you know, just very kind of classically handsome, very charming, you know, English gentleman. And also knows how to handle this kind of crowd. It, it, this kind of crowd. I mean, he's done Harry Potter. He's done all kinds of stuff. And you like you, it, you Dietrich Bader, for me, at least out charmed Jason Isaacs, which I didn't know it was possible yeah. to do. And for me, before I kind of got to know him a little better through his work Dietrich Bader was always the B the B-list um what's his face for me who's who's Crunk whose name I just forgot oh oh Patrick, Patrick Warburton, Warburton. Oh, yes. he, oh he did um he did the voice of Crunk on did he do the the, 
TV show version of Kronk? Or did you just think? In- no, no, no. I, I always, because they have that similar kind of just like very deep voice. Oh, okay. They, they feel a similar. And they have a similar look. Yeah. So I always saw Dietrich Bader as the B-list Warburton. Okay, that makes I, sense. I always loved Patrick Warburton so yeah. much. But that's, that's a fair comparison, yeah. But no, he he's fantastic. I, I really like how they utilize that sort of persona. And, and they definitely portray Lex as more of like, the hero, he he does, but he's still super cocky about it. He's super arrogant, yeah. And they, you know, I think they actually give more substantial meaning to his relationship with Lois than maybe in the the comic. Like you, you kind of buy their relationship a little bit more here. You kind of get why she's still around with mm-hmm. him all the time. Um, I don't know. I I thought that you know he was kind of like the the standout voice performance there. I thought it was interesting too because like it is a politically aware film. Yeah. Like, you know, there are definitely references to the Trumpian era in which we live. Um, and, and also the, the distrust of media on both ends distrust is media. such a huge player in the game. In this yeah. Movie. And, and also, you know, it's I think that their version of Wonder Woman, they change things a little bit where she is kind of there to just point out that no matter what happens, like men specifically the gender of men and pretty much are always like stupid stupid and, and wrong and, and corruptible in a yeah. way that i mean women can obviously be too but maybe a little bit less inclined towards power grabs in terms of like old form old school archaic forms of like masculinity and power and she's kind of there to point that out to people and that ultimately her arc is to just get completely frustrated about all this and to walk away and we'll we'll get into the comic spoiler about how that's a little bit different there um, but I, I liked that. I liked that they gave her that. I think they gave her like a little bit more footing than maybe they do in the comic, which I thought was pretty good. Yeah. Um, and you may have already said this. I, I got so distracted there, but like the animations like really good in this too. Yeah. It, it's really well done. Um, I think there were a few moments. Um, I, I remember after watching it, there were a few moments that, that did feel a little cheap to me. Mm-hmm. Oh, there, there was one moment I mentioned in the car. Uh, it's a very small thing. But it's Lex and Lois are holding hands, and it's a waist shot, and you can see that they're painted on into the background, and the only movement is the arms, and you you can tell like whoever animated it. It's very small, and it like, only is for like not all of it's animated. Well, no the the arms moving are not like there's no joint connection. Oh, okay. And so like how the upper arm should have moved with how the forearm was moving, there was mm-hmm. no movement in the upper arm. Oh, okay. So it's almost just like the forearm was floating up, detaching itself from his body. Oh, okay. Yeah. I see what you mean. Um, no, that's fair. I mean, I think these are still made kind of inexpensively and, Oh, and super rushed and super rushed. But I mean, I've talked before how I'm not the biggest fan of the, the animation style from like their ongoing new 52, style movies um this to me felt like i I always feel like maybe that they do they kind of do those and they just kind of like rush them out and they just kind of do whatever and then they'll have a couple other ones each year where they really put a little bit more effort into and really try and like make them pop a bit more um even though they're part of the new 52 verse i thought that the the death and reign of superman were kind of those Mm -hmm. i think those are a little more substantial in their design um i thought this looked good this to me felt like a good dc AU companion piece. Yeah. Like it felt like an Elseworlds off of the DCAU branch of the continuity, maybe more so than the, the complete one off pocket things or off. Yeah. Of the you're Ninja first. Batman and Gotham and Gaslight. Yeah. And also I'm like kind of head canoning it because we do get Phil Lamar voicing John Stewart. That's true. Yeah. So, I mean, not that that's 
enough alone, but it's a, it's a pretty good step mm-hmm. towards it. But I, I thought that was fun. I also loved, and I, I mentioned this to you after we saw it, that um, a lot of the background characters or character designs that were used in BTOS and Justice League, um, I think I recognize a few from Mass the Phantasm specifically. Like, they're not really doing anything. They're just kind of hanging out in the background, but there are definitely some familiar faces kind of tucked in back there. And it just, I don't know, for me, that helped give it some of that texture of feeling, like, kind of connected to DC um, AU. But I, I, I highly recommend it. I think it's it's really excellent if you're a fan of this, which, if you're not, what the fuck are you listening to? <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Mark, for listening. <laughs> but no, it's... Um, it's good. It's, it's, I think it's well worth a watch. I think they really you know, put in a lot of effort in. If you are a, a fan of the comic, I think it does a lot of it justice, and I think it changes enough to make it feel like its own distinct thing a little bit. Um, let's get to some uh, listener write-ins here, and then I want to talk a little bit about some specific elements that change from the comic. Okay. Um, but yeah, so we got a message in from, uh, from Brian Day. And um, so he said that he really enjoyed like the twists and turns the movie had, uh, especially for Batman and Superman. Um, although he kind of wished there was a little bit more in terms of how Superman joined the Soviets, like how he got immersed into the actual like Soviet Union structure, which was kind of interesting to see. Like, did he go to them? Was he just like plucked out? Like, at what point did the state become aware of him? How that sort of? I mean, it out? sounded it from the intro. It sounded like he went to them. Yeah, I would get that he probably went to them. Did you ever read Flashpoint Superman? No, I've never read any of the Flashpoint stuff. Okay, that that's another one where. Um, the government, I think it's the American government, gets their hands on baby oh, Superman. Oh, okay, yeah, I've seen the, the movie, so I remember yeah, a little bit about yeah. that. Yeah, and that that's a rough read. Like, I, I think, Brian, if you wanna if you wanna see that kind of idea of Superman in the early hands of government, mm-hmm. in the early hands of scientists, read Flashpoint Superman. Oh yeah, that's good. Dark. Call. That's a good call. Yeah. Um, yeah, but Brian also pointed out that it kind of reminded him of the uh, Superman animated series episode when Lois goes to the pocket dimension. It's a very, it's a very similar idea. Like where it's, I think the episode's called Brave New World, where Lois was killed. Yes. By I think Lightner or someone. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean it's a similar idea. It's I, I always love a good Superman story where he kind of becomes uh, um, the bad guy. But he says you know casting wise the voices were great. Jason Isaac Superman. He also points out like we did the villains. Brave New Metropolis. Brave New Metropolis. Thank you. Um, you know Jason Isaac's usually known for his villain work, so good choice there. Um, and Dietrich Bader, of course, was great. And um, yeah, that he's not really portrayed as an evil guy. He's more portrayed as just someone who's trying to protect his country, but, you know, is also like really arrogant, but also intelligent. Um, but he said that the biggest surprise was the casting for Brainiac. So it's Paul Williams, um, who he points out hadn't been involved in any big DC projects since the Penguin. He was the voice of Penguin in uh, BTOS. Oh, wow. And the new Batman Adventures. And uh, I actually didn't know this was a cool piece of trivia that Brian pointed out. He makes a third uh, Batman villain actor um, voicing Brainiac after uh, Jeffrey Combs and John Noble. I forgot that they kind of went through a few different iterations of the Brainiac voice. Wow, I didn't know that either. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's always fun to see like those voice actors like come back around again in a, in a slightly different capacity. I mean, Dietrich Bader, great example of that. I mean, he's played now probably some of the most characters Especially big name characters. Like I can't think of anyone else who's voiced like both Batman and Lex, for example. Like that's pretty cool that they had that in there. Um, and then he said also that the ending felt a little bit quick for Lex and Superman teaming up against Brainiac in the end. And um, he, you know, didn't necessarily love the whole Superman surviving the explosion thing, but you know, it's kind of a nice little touch that he gets to come back and live with humans on Earth. Yeah. And it, to me, that did feel a little bit rushed too. Like it was it. It was. It didn't feel like it was necessarily building up momentum towards a climax, and then the climax just kind of happened. Um, it, but it, you know, it still more or less worked for the most part. Uh, and then Ashley Clark wrote in, 
Um, and she said that, you know, not having read the comic, uh, she felt like that this was written in the middle of the post 9-11 wave of patriotism by someone who had lived through the Cold War, which sounds right. Because I think that comic came out in 2003. Uh, that, I mean, I'll, I'll I want to say 2004. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I would absolutely agree with that. I think, I think the story in general tends to maybe favor... Um, yeah, the, 20, yeah, 2003. Yeah, the American superpower in a way that maybe doesn't hold up quite so well now. Um, but I think she pointed out was that like uh, Bruce for her was completely out of character. You know, she put it um, 900% out of character. Um, and has really good points that I guess like without his privilege, he's basically just portrayed as a terrorist mm-hmm. in this rather than actually having like a real meaningful POV and like, you know, kind of moral compass. Um, he's not a beacon of hope. He's just the kind of generic voice of humanity. Um, but yeah, but you have to think about where Batman is, is Batman is fighting down in his normal story. Yeah. He's in the high spot going low. Mm-hmm. In this, he's in the low spot going high. We never see outside of um, <clears throat> Bat- Dark Knight Returns, we never see Batman versus government. Yeah. Batman is just is always kind of parallel and separate. That's true. And and, and I think maybe the, the one moment that undercuts the inherent Batmanness of that character is when he blows up the museum with all the people still inside of it. Yeah. Like at that point it goes from him being a, a politically minded activist who's using terrorist methodology to like a full on terrorist. Cause he's killing innocent people. Right. So, I mean, I, that was clearly a deliberate choice in their part. I think they really wanted to emphasize the more evil aspects of both Batman and Superman in this and not portray them in a good light mm-hmm. through a lot of it. But I think that one act alone really sets us apart from, a version of Batman that we are normally more familiar with. Yeah. And it, it also plays into Joker's famous line. All it takes is one bad day. Yeah, that's true. That's actually very true. Yeah. Um, but you know, she points out, it's kind of like everyone is, there's really no concept of what good is in this world. It's everyone just kind of trying to do what they think is right, but also like spectacularly fucking it up. Yeah. Along the way and just doing really atrocious things. It's true. Like, cause Superman like pretty, thinks he's in the right, thinks he's in the right, but also pretty early on, like, takes things to an extreme measure. Like he kills Stalin. Mm -hmm. Like he, it's interesting the way they did that is that that is, he basically kills a man who used murder and violence to his own political ends by murdering that person. Like it it kind of asks that question of like, well, at what point do you just become the very thing you're, you're fighting against? And I think they did that specifically to make it more an explicit choice in their part that he was choosing to become the thing that he was trying to fight against rather than having it play out a little more slowly than say it does in the comic. Um, you know, but for Ashley, she likes her DC heroes because they are usually like hopeful and aspirational and not reluctant or forced or begrudging. Um, and that this movie didn't really feel like it stood behind that. And it only really worked if you were like, you were only like kind of heroic if you were, um, like basically American is kind mm. of how she pointed <clears throat> out. Which Damn right. Yeah. <laughs> No, I think it's a, I think it's a very I think it's a very valid thing. I think that the the movie kind of undercuts its own message a little bit because it's basically saying that like a a global dominating force, whether it's intended for the right or wrong, is ultimately not good for the world. It's ultimately just a as you're compromising freedom for the sake of like order. Mm-hmm. And that that's what Superman's version of the Soviet Union was meant to represent, and then he is defeated, but ultimately the entire world is eventually 
under the thumb to some degree of a new American superpower. It doesn't really subvert that message. It basically just goes, well, this version of that was wrong. This version of this is a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Which I think, I think it's a valid criticism that doesn't really hold up, especially now when let's be honest, we're the bad guy. Yeah. There, there was a, a tweet that, a tweet that I saw this week. that was something like, uh, is America the world Florida? Yeah. At this point, yes. We and I'm like, we, fuck, that puts everything in perspective. We right really now. are. We are absolutely the, the, the world's Florida. Yeah. Hey, we have Disney World. Hey, we got Disney World. So that's one thing we have going for us. Um, she also said that uh, she felt like Diana was just there to serve as the person to tell how Superman had changed. Because I guess that needed to be pointing out, which I guess is, is kind of true. Like, she's mostly there to be like, you're an You've asshole. Changed. You've changed. You're an asshole. Like, you are not the person I thought you were. But I'm, I'm kind of glad they had her there to do that. Um, but okay, so I, I do want to get into some of like maybe the differences between the comic a little bit, specifically the ending. Yes. So now this is spoilers for the comic. Yes. Okay. I think that I, cause they, we, someone asked in the panel why they didn't include the original ending, of the comic, which is that eventually the world the, under the thumb of Lex, who's actually doing things for like the right reasons and the, the utopia he built this, this leading government of scientists and artists and all sort of stuff eventually becomes our version of Krypton and a scientist named Jor-El, the long lineage of Luther's and the line sends his son into the past where he'll be free. And so it's this looped story. And I think what that does, this movie doesn't is point out the flaw in the system, right? So it says, okay, yeah, the world seems like it's going to be better now that Superman's gone and Lex has made everything in his own image, but ultimately that utopia will fail because it's ultimately just not going to work. Cause it's again, it's the hubris and the arrogance of, the government and the leaders that make them blind to the impending destruction of the planet the same way it was with Krypton. Yeah. So ultimately the experiment's a failure and it's this thing, this idea of like the inevitability of no matter what happens, it's ultimately not going to work yeah, out. Yeah, we're always fucked no matter what. We're always what. fucked. It's a much more nihilistic perspective, <laughs> but I think by removing that, and they even acknowledge they removed it for practical reasons, just trying to make that sequence work was hard just in terms of the visualization yeah, of it. Yeah, there's so much you have to animate. There's so much you have to animate. I totally get all that and it gives this more of like, oh God, the motorcycle's back. A concrete, happier ending. But by taking that very specific piece out, I think you ultimately compromise a lot of the the more effective messaging of the film and it makes it seem a little bit more like it's just America's better than the Soviet Union. And I think that's also spread to the idea of like making Lex a flat out hero in this versus in the comics where he and Superman are both much more morally gray characters. Yeah. Yeah, I think they could have played up Lex a little more in the idea of like he's just doing this because it's kind of fun for him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's the thing that they really emphasize in the comic. It's a game. Yeah. You know, and I actually really love that moment when Superman is, like, flying Brainiac away from the planet to have it go explode, and he's like, well played, old friend. It, one, I always, I have this weird thing, but I love when, like, the heroes and villains are like, oh, like, we're friends, we're buds. Yeah. Stupid, but I love it. But also, it acknowledges, like, ultimately, this was a game the two of them were playing. It was a game of chess that they were always going I, back I think they could have turned to the, the Turing game. In, in that idea of, of like, you have... Did, did you see the Turing game? The imitation game? The Alan Turing game? That one? Yeah. yeah. The yeah. imitation game? Um, where you, you have him just being very analytical. And it's like, oh, I don't care about numbers. I don't yeah. care about people. They're numbers. Yeah. Um, like, I'll sacrifice all of them to win. Yeah. Because that's how I'm playing this. Yeah. I, I, and I think that's in the comic. And by not having it here, it, it, it undercuts it a little bit. And yeah. the, the one of the Because thing- now he just seems arrogant for no reason yeah arrogant just because he's just a fucking he's genius. smart yeah. he's smart 
The one other thing they changed um, was Wonder Woman. Her arc is actually drastically different. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's down to two very distinct things. It's one, in the moment when she's been captured by Batman, in the comic, Superman pleads for her to break her own lasso, thereby like causing her destruction in a lot of ways. Yeah. And then so she resents him for that and blames him for, one, becoming a total prick, but also like... Making her sacrifice herself. Making her him. sacrifice herself. And so she teams. What a man. Oh my God, I know, right? It's, it's, so she teams with Lex and the Green Lanterns to go against Superman. Mm-hmm. And I didn't necessarily love they took out that moment in the, the movie, but then I realized why they did it is because it's her choice to do that, one. And so then her sense of betrayal is that much greater, actually, because she believed in this person. She, she chose me to sacrifice, and the cost was there. And so then when she comes back later to point out that you're all idiots, because she breaks up the fight with the Green Lanterns rather than being on their side. Yeah. And then when she's like, I'm done with you idiots and leaves. I actually like that they made that change. If they're going to make that change, they at least made it for the better. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like overall, comic is better, but this is a pretty good movie. And I think, I think the changes they made served to make this story work for what they wanted it to be, which was a bit more of a blatant political commentary. Yeah. So. Agreed. Yeah. But it's worth seeing. Mm-hmm. So and I guess, it's on uh, Disney Universe, DC Universe. Is it up on Disney Universe already? I think it's, no, no, it's it's <laughs> up on um, it's for digital download. Yes. and then I think the Blu-ray comes out. And I don't know, right around the time this podcast comes out. I think mm-hmm. I think it comes out the day this podcast comes out. Yes, the tenth. So I am not wrong. You're not wrong, um, but no, so I think that'll just serve as our uh, our plug for this week, also because it's been a very long episode. We, yes, we had we had much to say. Um, but our, our if, plug, read the news. Re, yeah, read read the news. Not not the news news, like the nerd news. Nerd news. News news is sad. Yeah, go on io9 and competmovie.com. Yes. And variety too. Why not? Yeah, sure. Let's go for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if you uh, if you've seen Red Sun, you have any other thoughts, you want to let us know. We are at Tim Talk Bot on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail. Uh next week we won't be doing like a, a long review. We'll be back to our normal notes from friends. So also if you have any just like fun, nerdy questions you think would be worth exploring, mm-hmm. even if it's not Batman or Superman related, we'd love to have them. I have a question. It was, it was the question that was supposed to be on this episode, but now I realize I want everyone's input on this. Yes. Uh, what is your favorite? We we talk about Carmandillo and <laughs> Armadillo and Armadillo and H two Olga a lot. What is your favorite hero or villain pun name? Yes. Uh, yes. Please send in your recommendations. I have one, which I think is the best. <laughs> Ooh. And I, I want to see someone take that title from oh, me. Now you're going to me like two weeks. Yes. Before I know. You bastard. Yes. Uh, but yeah, we'd love to hear that. I'll, I'll actually post it on Twitter too as a question. I'd love to hear people's thoughts on what's the best uh, pun hero or villain name. Yes. Uh, if you want to find me doing nothing, it's I'm on Instagram at Lordifer. <laughs> Uh, if you want to see my art, which will be updated at some point, uh, you can find that at camera.dexter. And if you want to see my face and all my random adventures, you can find that at camdexter underscore adventures. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. All right. It's uh, It's been a pleasure, Cameron, as always. Yep. We'll be back in two weeks with yeah, some I'll more block static you shock. Out for two weeks, and <laughs> exactly. then I'll see you for Won't two hours. Won't talk to you at all. Yeah. <laughs> Get the fuck out of my apartment. Yep. <laughs> but we'll be back in two weeks with more uh, superhero static shock. Whoop, whoop.